Well, good morning, Gateway. Would you guys rise with me as we read from God's Word? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 10. We'll be reading from verses 25 through 37. It should be on the screen for you. Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify it himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the rival? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to dig into your word and how appropriate this passage is, Lord God. When we see our culture today, it's as if it's beaten up and it's wounded on the side. And you call us, Lord God, to be that neighbor to this culture. Help us, Lord, to be the agent of change, that agent of reconciliation that Ed was speaking about. So now as Ed comes, we simply ask, Lord, that you empower him to effectively communicate and to teach us how we better do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dean. You may be seated. We want to talk about moving from meandering to missionality. And yes, I made that word up. We're talking about what this means for us as individuals, but we're also going to look at what it means for Gateway as a church, and we're going to look at Gateway's mission. And we're going to make an unashamed appeal for you to join us in that process. Okay, so if we're going to live missionally, we have to ask, what is our mission? Now, if you've been around church for any time at all, you've heard this message before. But I don't apologize for that. This is a critically important message for us to be reminded of. This is critically important. It's an essential part of who we are and even why we're here. If you're 96 and you wake up in the morning and say, God, why am I still here? This is part of why you're here. If you're 34 and you're struggling with what you want to do when you grow up, this is part of what you need to do when you grow up today. So, if we're going to live missionally, we have to ask, what's our mission? And I want to frame the answer to that question by looking at Gateway's mission as a church. So, we're going to read this together. Here's our mission as a church. On three. One, two, three. We exist to be used by God to draw others into authentic Christian community. So today we're going to spend some time 
dialing down on the middle part of that mission statement, what do we mean by others? William Temple was a bishop in the Church of England in the 19th century, and he was spot on when he said this. The church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. So there can be no question that Jesus' intention for us was this. Jesus once summarized his entire life in ministry by saying, hey, I came to seek and to save the lost. So I didn't come for insiders. I didn't come to create a holy huddle. I didn't come to grab a whole bunch of people just like me and say, let's move away and grab one another and just hug. He came to seek and to save those who were far from God, those who were very, very different from himself. Jesus once had a fascinating and pretty famous interaction with a religious teacher. Dean read that interaction for us this morning as it's recorded by Dr. Luke. Now, the teacher that came to Jesus, he could have been spiritually curious, but you need to also know for context that this was not an atypical kind of exchange with an ancient Near Eastern rabbi. This may have been, for example, just sword rattling. Just let's argue this point of theology for a minute. Hey, rabbi teacher, what are your high-level thoughts about religion? You know the big picture, Jesus. So in this interaction, part of what this teacher is looking for is to find the limits of love. Just how far do you think I should go with this love your neighbor stuff, Jesus? The way he thinks about love here reminds me of the many young couples that have come to Diane and me for premarital counseling over the years. They tell us, of course, they're in love. And when we ask for an explanation, sometimes couples will say something like, oh, you can't believe how she makes me feel. Now, this is not a terrible thing. In fact, it's inevitable that a feature of my relationship with Diane is that I'm aware of how she makes me feel. This can be a wonderful thing, maybe essential, but it's not love. The teacher here is looking to Jesus to justify something like that kind of love, which I suspect he's more than willing to offer, love within limits, love that comforts and encourages me. Love that, that where I get something out of it. Love that gets offered to its own kind. Love that's comfortable. But I think he knows that Jesus has something very different in mind. All right, to set us up for the rest of our comments, I want you to watch this little video. It's produced by a church outside of Atlanta, and I think it speaks compellingly to this. So watch this. It's called The Moral Circle. Let's just say this is you. You're the big red person. All these people around you are just the people that you come in contact with. Some are people that you're friends with. Some are just, you know, the the checkout person at the grocery store. Everyone has a moral circle. And all that means is that the people that are most central to you there are going to get your most love and they're the people that you're going to be nicest towards. Okay. How many of you here have waited tables? So you guys know what misery that is. I have waited tables also. Imagine a friend, a family member, somebody you really care about is going to start waiting tables. They go through the whole training process. You get a group of people together. You go, you sit in their section. You're all excited first night. And they come over and they are just sweating bullets. Right? What do you say to them? Oh, don't don't worry about us. Don't worry about us. Don't even worry about We don't even need drinks. I don't even like water. It's fine. We're fine. (laughs) I don't even like this. An hour later, they come over and take your order. You ordered steak in front of you as cod. 
It's great. You love cod. Cod's terrific. We're going to eat this. This is going to be great. And then what do you do at the, over, at the end of the night? You overtip them, don't you? You overtip them. Now, imagine that same scenario, and you have no idea who this server is. And they come, and you know what? You ordered Coke Zero, and this tastes like Diet Coke. So you stop making eye contact with these people. You start to do that mental math of the tip going down, down, down. <laughs> I'm not going to even look at this person. You know, this is, this is ridiculous. We were paying for a good time. What is this? Two different types of behavior from us for two different people. One is your mom. One is your friend. One is your brother. The other one isn't. But the other one's somebody's mom. The other one's somebody's friend. The other one's somebody's brother. Why do we justify two different types of behavior for people that we come in contact with? We show kindness to our kind, meaning the people that are inside that circle are generally going to be people that you think are your kind. Ethnicity, background, financial status, age, orientation, family member, skill set, you name it. These are the people that I am going to give my most love to. Just imagine with me, how different would your world be if you just expanded your moral circle? What if all of a sudden the people in your church were known for treating other people in their society like family? What would that do to you? What would that do to your church? What would that do to your life and your heart? So let's think for a second about how different the Samaritan is from Jesus. Now, some of you know this, but the Samaritans lived north of the center of Israel in Jesus' day. Jerusalem was in the center of the center of Israel. And Samaria was to the north. And Samaritans were half-breeds and were considered irreligious. In fact, for the most religious people in Israel, if you needed to go north of Samaria from Israel... You went around Samaria, which was a huge trip. You couldn't even walk through the territory of Samaria because Samaritans were so other. They were so different. from. They were so non. They were so not our kind. So Jesus offers this illustration of the limits of love, and the hero is a Samaritan. Again, many of you have heard this and contemplated this before, but we need to do so again. We need to recognize just how radical a thing Jesus is saying here. For, for those of you this morning who are political liberals, this is like Jesus making the hero of the story a card-carrying alt-right radical who believes poor people just need to get a job, and black people hate white people, and that's why they're rioting. For those of you who are politically conservative, you need to see the hero of the story is a card-carrying Bernie Sanders supporter who's just left a gay pride parade and he's dressed to the hilt. And Jesus says, when you see that person in need, then go serve. Go love that person. That's who your neighbor is. It reinforces this, right? at the end of his life, the last thing he says to his first followers and to us is, go into all the world. This is in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and tell them the good news. Tell them everything I've told you. Go. Tell them. Don't huddle. That's what you're going to want to do. But I want you to go. 
I want you to go to every kind of person and tell them what I've told you. Tell them about God's love for them and tell them that they have a mission and they're invited into it. So last week we talked about purpose. If you were here, you'll remember we said your life is meant to be lived missionally. You were made for a purpose and so was our church. We're called together for a purpose. God has given us a mission. And that mission is to be used by God to draw others into authentic Christian community. So for each of us personally, that means our lives are meant to be lived out. And in my notes, I have that word capitalized. Capital O, capital U, capital T. We were designed to live with and for others to get beyond ourselves. You know, when the FBI builds profiles on the most extreme criminals, like mass murderers or serial killers, they always begin the profile with loner, because they know that's the case. Connection to others exercises a stabilizing, normalizing influence on each of us. You don't become a mass murderer without spending significant amounts of unhealthy time in your own head. We were not designed to live this way. We were designed to live with and for others. And giving to others gets us out of our own heads. We were made for this. In 2007, the National Institutes of Health conducted a study on giving. They got a large group of people, gave them $100, told them they could do whatever they wanted to do with that $100, and then they wired them and studied their brains in various activities with that $100. So the interesting thing is, the people whose brains most activated the pleasure centers were those who donated part of the $100 and gave it away. When they gave, the pleasure center in their brain was activated. Our life was meant to be lived out. This means that if all of our time and energy is devoted to our own lives and even our own family, then we're living short of God's mission for us. You know, there's a really good chance that the Good Samaritan missed an afternoon soccer game when he was taking care of the man who'd been mugged. This doesn't mean that every time we see a street person in D.C., we're supposed to give them whatever money we have. But it does mean that we can't automatically turn off to those circumstances. We may not do anything, but we need to pause. We need to reflect. I have to share a personal incident. Saturday before last, Tim and Terry Eagle and I were manning a booth out at the Stone Ridge Farmer's Market. And we're out there under Dave and Crystal's direction. We were telling people about Stop Hunger Now, trying to get folks to come to Stop Hunger Now, which, by the way, is October 16th. So don't forget to register for Stop Hunger Now. So we were out there with a booth, big sign, Stop Hunger Now, Occasionally, folks would come by. You know, it was a little bit slow, but at certain points, it would pick up. Somebody would come by. A couple of times, I, you know, somebody came by, and I tried to be obnoxious because people weren't necessarily coming to our booth. We didn't have any food. So a woman came by, and I said, have you signed up for Stop Hunger Now? And she looked at me like she wanted to shoot me, so I thought, that's not an effective strategy. I won't do that anymore. So we sat there and let people come, tried to engage them. If they had little kids, I told them the truth. I said, you really need to sign up for this. They'll have a blast. And they'll get exposed to something that's kind of neat. At the end of the day, it's probably about 30 minutes before we were going to break everything down. 
this guy walks up to the tent. And later I would tell Tim and Terry, part of what was unsettling for me is how incongruous it was. You know, it didn't look like he was, he didn't have his Sunday best on for sure, but he was a nice looking guy and pretty well spoken and had an expensive watch on and backpack and he walks up to the tent and he says, I'll work for food. You'll work for food. Anything I can do. So I did a quick calculation, honestly. And I thought, A, we don't have any food. B, I've got something to do right after this. C, we don't really need his help breaking down. And even if we do, I don't have any money. I I can't take him over to Wendy's. And besides, there are a lot of other people here. (laughs) And they have food. So, yeah, no thanks. We don't need any help. And I was done. However, Tim Eagle, holy Tim, uh, (laughs) starts talking to this crazy guy. And for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, where are you from? So, you know, what's up? Oh, okay, how did that happen? Do you have a place to stay now? Oh, okay, how did you get there? And, oh, wow. And I was moved by watching Holy Tim. You know what I thought? I thought, maybe the guy didn't really need food. Maybe he just needed to talk to somebody. Maybe he needed somebody to say, hey, tell me your story. And so somebody did. Personally, our lives, hold that thought for a second. Personally, our lives were meant to be lived out beyond ourselves. This is a difficult thing for those of us who are wired to move to the next thing and our schedules are so frenetic. We don't have time to get outside of our own schedule, outside of our own family. For us as a church, this means we have to constantly be ready to engage those around us. The ones who are like us and the ones who are not like us, the ones who are our kind and the ones who are not our kind at all. Okay, so let's be honest for a second. We're building a facility kind of across the street, so if you're fairly new, you may not have heard this yet, but we're excited about it, and it's going to be awesome. It will attract attention. In fact, it already has. You all need to know that what we've been thinking about and praying about, I think God is already beginning to do. When we were out, for instance, that Saturday, Tim and Terry and I noted that the people that came up and interacted with us, I don't know, there were less than 25 Maybe somewhere between 15 and 20 individuals or couples or families would come up and interact with us, and at least three or four times, sponsored by Gateway Community Church. Oh, Gateway Community Church, aren't y'all the ones that are building something over there, right? So people are noticing. It will attract attention. And we're going to begin to get visitors, even more than we're getting now. And when you move into that big steel billboard across the street, we'll get quite a few visitors. So again, let's be honest, Gateway, probably many of those visitors will be church people. They're going to be people who are tired of driving, I'm just being honest, these are going to be people who are tired of driving all the way to McLean Bible Church, or they're tired of driving all the way to Reston. 
oh, there's a new church in our area. That's kind of neat looking. Let's check that out. Or they'll move to the area. They're pretty new to the area. They move to the area. They're getting their kids in school for the fall, and they're church people. So they're looking for a church. They'll do an internet search. They'll see, we have a building. All these other people are kind of flaky. They're meeting in schools. Let's go visit that church first. So they will come visit us, church people, and that's awesome. They're our kind, and we need to be really friendly to them. But if that's all we do, then we, just like the teacher, will stand before Jesus embarrassed by the smallness of our hearts and by how much we've missed his message. We've got to turn our lives out, and we've got to figure, strategically figure out how to do that. You know, in light of that, I have to say to, a little parentheses here, I have to say to those of you who are involved in Gateway, I'm really proud of the way we have responded to what God is doing across the street. If you've been here a while, you know that what we're really trying to do, honestly, across the street is build a community center. We're building soccer fields, and we're building a gymnasium, and we're building a preschool and kindergarten enrichment area because we really want to figure out how to serve our community. We're building a community center. And I have to tell you, in early conversations with our architect, one time the architect, one of the architects pulled me aside. Usually Jan was in all of these conversations, but the architect wanted to make sure he got this from me. So he pulled me aside at one point and he said, hey, this is great, Ed, we love it. This is kind of a, it's a really neat vision, but are you sure? Are you sure your congregation is going to go for this? I mean, you're building something for the community. And you really have. Thank you. And it seems to me like what we've gotten is that the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Okay, before we end today, I think there are kind of two aspects of Jesus' conversation with this teacher that are worth special attention for us. I want you to notice how interested the teacher is in being right Again, there's probably a mixture of spiritual curiosity, but also this is kind of a typical exchange with an ancient Near Eastern rabbi, and he goes to Jesus and he asks him this big epic question, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That already has an assumption in it. Not all Jews believed in eternal life, but he was pretty sure Jesus did. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him an answer, you know, the law. Uh, How do you read it? So he returns that question with a question, which was also pretty typical of ancient Near Eastern religious banter. And I want you to notice that the teacher gets the answer right. In fact, the teacher gives the answer that Jesus, on another occasion, would himself give to the same question. Love God with all you got, go all in, and love your neighbor as yourself, but that's not enough for the teacher. He wants to be absolutely right, and Dr. Luke gives us the editorial note wanting to justify himself. And I want you to notice how absolutely, utterly, Jesus ignores the teacher's argumentativeness. In effect, what Jesus is saying is, you need to worry less about being right and more about loving those in need. And I think that's an especially important message for us. In the current political environment in America, we need to worry less about being right and more about loving those who are in need. 
I was reminded as I was thinking about this years ago having a conversation with a friend of mine and it turned into an argument about a particular issue. And I, life of me, I can't remember what the issue was. This was a good friend. And at one point we're getting a little heated and he says to me, you think you're right about everything. Listen to my response. Now remember, I cut my teeth on the idea that the point of an argument was to win it, right? I mean, that's why you have an argument. So you think you're right about everything. And my response was, well, of course I do. If I knew I was wrong, I would change my mind. You think you're right about everything too. That's an absolutely ridiculous, stupid argument. He was so highly offended by that. Discussion was done. And he, in essence, walked away. My response initially was, I won. Awesome. (laughs) It was years before I realized how wrong I was. Even if I was right about the issue, and I'm sure I was, (laughs) even if I was right about the issue, I was clearly wrong. Listen, sometimes when people say, you're ignorant and judgmental, what they mean is, why don't you accept me? Sometimes when people say, I don't believe in God, he's just a myth, what they really mean is, my mother died of cancer when I was 15, and I prayed and prayed and nothing happened. And sometimes we can be very, very right and get it all wrong. We've got to worry less about being right and worry more about loving those who are very different from us. Second thing, I don't want us to miss from this interaction. I don't want us to miss how obvious Jesus is. And let's end with this. In reply, Jesus says, let me give you an illustration. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which... In the the day, as I understand, it was a pretty dangerous road. So Jesus has picked this for that reason. Going on this trip, and he falls into the hands of, of robbers. And they strip him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by, a leva comes along, and then Good Samaritan does the thing that you were supposed to do. But you might have missed what Jesus said. Listen. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. (laughs) leaving him half dead. So Jesus could have said, they kicked him and hurt his ankle and he fell down by the side of the road and was just trying to nurse his ankle. They punched him in the stomach, took his money and left. No. Or, Or they could have said, drug him way over on the other side of a hill and left him in the bushes. And a priest comes along and he hears, oh, and he thinks that must be a dead animal, but he keeps walking. No, he's on the side of the road, half dead. Jesus is not asking us to exercise extraordinary powers of perception. Just be aware of the needs that are around you. When you see need presenting itself, love and meet that need. You don't have to be awesome at this, you don't have to be holy, Tim. When some guy comes up and says, I'll work for food, maybe you should ask him what's up, (laughs) right? Just take the obvious. This week, when you're presented with need, step into it. I know you're busy. I, I know you've got too much to do. I know you don't have enough money to help with this. Step in and see what God will do. 
Invite them in. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that you would make us a room full of Samaritans. We are, Father, most of us by definition, insiders. We can't even relate to Samaritans, much less become one. But God, I I pray that you would do that work in us, that you would break our hearts and show us just how Samaritan-like we are. We've spent our lives trying to not be that. We got educated and we've learned management software and we've passed the latest certificate course for the latest computer whatever. And we've worked really hard at not being Samaritans, God, but we, you know, it's, it's who you made us. So Lord, I pray for specifically. I pray for opportunities this week to respond to your word, that you would show us people in need, and that you would give us the opportunity to step in. Father, I pray for Gateway as a congregation. I pray that you would pour out your spirit here and make us a place that welcomes those who are our kind and those who are not. Lord, I pray that you would help us to draw others into what you're doing, into authentic Christian community. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.